Welcome to another episode of Fufu and Pap. It's Adjua. And this is Nicole. Nicole, sorry, this is when you're being greedy. <laughs> I just had coffee and I mixed it with Doritos, the ketchup brand. Ooh. It's actually Ooh. quite good. Ketchup is, the ketchup one is actually quite good. So I'm very, um, it's quite tasty. But my, my dad favorite... bought it. Pardon? My favorite is still Cool Ranch, though. It's Cool Ranch. I love the cheesy ones, but this one, my dad had this bad habit of when he came, he was always bringing junk into the house. I think it was his way of (laughs) coping with being here for so long, and he loves Doritos. So he bought two bags of Doritos ketchup, and this dude just ups and leaves to Ghana, take doesn't it. take this thing <laughs> with him, and leaves it here in a house where we're trying to lose weight and look good for 2021. And when it's there, it's like, oh, I'm not going to open it. I want, I'm not going to open it. And Kakra opened the bag. And game over. I know, that's it. I know. Listen, as long as it's in the house, there's, it's always going to be so tempting because... Kwame's the same, like he'll bring all this good stuff and I cannot eat it, especially now. Mm-hmm. And I'll take like a little teeny tiny bite or like I'll suck on it and spit it out. That's horrible, but that's what I'm doing at the moment. I need to learn how to do that because ever since I did my surgery, I'm like, okay, I've done the surgery. I need to make sure that, you know, I need to get this other arm done, which yesterday when I went to see my doctor, she was like, you are the fastest person. She's like, she looks at it. She said, you're healed. I was oh, like, okay. it's only been two weeks. She's like, you're the fastest person I've done this surgery on who has healed. We can That's literally terrible. do the right arm tomorrow. Wow. And I was like, yeah, tomorrow doesn't work because the second surgery, my mom has to be here to do it, to be here to oh. look after me. Oh, because okay. I, I just want my mom to be here to cater to me. Yeah. So I call my mom and I'm like, mommy, um, so I'm supposed to have the surgery. And she said, I can do it whenever. She said, you need to do it ASAP. I was like, I was thinking of like November when you're, she's like, no, 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 no. Do it before November. I'm like, um, she's like, your sister can take care of you. I'm like, mommy, but she's like, no, do it now. I'm like, what kind of wickedness is this? Like I cried for my mom. For the first one, she said, oh, I wish I was here for you. I wish I was. Now I'm giving you an opportunity to be here to look after me. You said no. She's like, do, like it, do, this, do it before I come. She said, do it before. I, like, I'm not like, so I was in such a good mood. Hearing that, I'm just like, okay, mommy, you know what? I'm going to pray over it. So today I wake up and I'm like, mommy, so I've been thinking and there's a date that comes into my mind, 2nd November, 2nd November. And she's like, ah, okay, he says 2nd November, but that's the day I arrive and we have to go into quarantine for 14 days at an airbnb. <laughs> 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 I'm like, <laughs> well, I'll do it after the 14 days. I don't, the thing is, I'm so scared about the second wave. Yeah, I know, I know. That if I don't do it as soon as possible. Yeah, that's actually true. It's probably better to just get it get it done with because then you're going to have these long lists and, and wait times again. Exactly. So I'm just going to um, 
I have to do laser, which my doctor said I have to do it a month after my surgery. So I'll do that. And then maybe towards the end of the month, I will do October, towards the end of October, I'll do the second surgery. Yeah. Because I just went back to work too. So either way, the whole point of me going on this rant was I'm supposed to be eating healthy so that this disease that I have will not, like at least it will go into remission because the surgery is supposed to put me into remission. Right. And diet is supposed to make sure that goes into remission. And Definitely. I'm eating frigging Doritos. I know it's so hard though. Ugh. It it's, is. It's just so hard. The only thing that has like... I mean, not the only thing. I'm, I'm also trying to be, like, more mindful and more conscious. But the one thing that, like, keeps me from going back to my old habits mm-hmm. is that I don't want to have the pain. The pain, mm-hmm. to me, is, like, comparable to contractions. Um, and it's, it's like, it, it lasts for hours, just like mm-hmm. contractions. So that's the one thing that like scares me to even eat mm-hmm. anything with like mm-hmm. a little bit of oil. But, um, but anyways, aside from that, I mean, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, how are you? During COVID-y, COVID-y, COVID-y times. Um, I'm okay. Like I feel, you know, the weather's been really nice. I always feel like the weather really helps, helps to stay sane. But, you know, I don't know, man. I'm so over this. Like, we're at the end of the year almost, and uh, we're expecting a second wave. So I'm just trying to stay optimistic and yeah. do things and not really think about, like, the doom and gloom that this year has been. I and, know. Uh, it yeah, kind of sucks because Thanksgiving is coming and um, this year I'm like, so literally it's just going to be Kakra and I home, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't like, normally we would go over to my friend's father's house and we'll have like, we'll all cook something and have, and have Thanksgiving with him. But this year, I don't know if that's even going to be possible because right. even though they've reduced the numbers to 10 people, their family plus us will be more people. Mm-hmm. So um, it looks like we're going to have a very quiet Thanksgiving, and it's not the same having like a nice Thanksgiving spread. I know. You know? So Kara and I, being as lazy as we are, we might just order takeout. And then, oh my gosh, I would so I would that I would co-sign that. That's you should do that. Yeah, Why? but it's 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 Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know. I totally it's know. not the same, but I guess we all have to like deal with it. I know that that's, I think that is like, that should be our motto for 2020. We just have to deal with it. Like yeah. everything, you know, I know I was thinking about like, um, sometimes when you start to think about um, like the stress and the anxiety mm-hmm. that COVID has brought onto us, mm-hmm. like it can really put you in a tailspin, you know, like you can just start thinking irrationally. And like, I was thinking that because we didn't send Hendrix back to school. So he's mm-hmm. with us. Um, and then we're just like, look at all these cases of, mm-hmm. of um, COVID that's popping up in schools and, you know, and like our school, for example, are sending emails like business as usual as if things aren't happening. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff makes me really anxious. And mm-hmm. then I said to myself, like, we just have to deal with what we are currently dealing with, like today. 
Yeah. Or else you really will. I, I say that, which is hard to do, but that's sort of like where I'm at with COVID. I just deal with it a day at a time. It, yeah, that's, I mean, what can we say? Like, we have our health, we are alive, we still have our jobs, which is a lot to say. We still have our homes. Um, none of us have lost any close family members, thankfully. So we are still so blessed. And I think about it like my brother and his wife had a baby, which mm-hmm. is such a blessing in 2020. And, you know, that alone, I've been able to get my surgery done and then doing a second surgery. I'm like, God willing, by 2021, I'll be, you know, ready to wear sleeveless dresses and clothing and all of that. So there have been blessings. And I think it's given us a chance to really rest. You know yeah. what I mean? So, um, it's also given us Love Island. Girl! <laughs> Girl! You do not just say, girl, you. Listen, I'm still behind. I'm still behind. You need because to catch I'm, up. I'm not watching it live. So I think I'm maybe like two episodes, two episodes behind. But Love Island has kept my spirit. <laughs> girl, like last night, <laughs> girl. Is it every night? It's every Monday to Friday. I think Wednesday is the only night they don't show. Some Wednesdays they do, but. It's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. Saturday, they show, like, you know, deleted scenes and all of that. So I don't really oh watch that. But if you want the drama is those nights. And like I was telling you the other day, I love watching it live tweeting because, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're sitting there. You're like, what in God's name did this person do? Blah, blah, blah. You go on Twitter and they're just tearing this person apart. So you're like, okay, it's not just me. And they are, people on Twitter are hilarious. Yeah, they really are. I, after you told me about it, I went and I looked on it and I was like, yeah, I saw all the memes about Johnny and the, the hatred towards Johnny. Like, so. this guy can't, like, they're like, no neck Johnny, you're the next to go, blah, 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 and then whiny Mackenzie, gee, oh God, that girl. Well, when I was thinking about, like, um, remember we were talking about Johnny and I was like oh well he's young and he's good looking and it might Mm -hmm. probably happen again and but what he was thinking about was like his game Mm -hmm. you know what I mean because like if America votes Mm -hmm. if America votes for that then they're gonna nobody likes that you know especially I would think I'm assuming more women watch the show than men so it's going to be it's totally gonna work against him and then when they have to be like voted to spend time alone and all that kind of stuff like the couples are going to be like well i fully saw you cheating on what's her name sicily no sally sally yeah so um and Mackenzie. oh my gosh this this girl drives me crazy so i'm only at the point where she just got recoupled she chose to get recoupled with jay caleb jalen jalen black guy i don't know what he is yeah i think i thought he was like indian mixed indian he's mixed for sure but girl you just yeah (laughs) i'm gonna catch up tonight i'm so excited like that's my saturday like i'm glad you don't have the commercials to waste your time but it's actually so good but the thing is like, in terms of Johnny, you're right. Like, yesterday I was sitting there and I was like, in the real world, so he did that. 
we will be mad, but the truth is a lot of girls would have taken their man back. Yeah, if- definitely. And and like they have a real like for what it is, they do have this like real connection. And you know that girl who I can't even remember her name, she was a bit much. It almost felt like she was being excess the um Sorry, say it again. Because her name is Mercedes. Oh, okay, okay. You know what? I can't hear you all of a sudden. Hello? Okay, there you are. Um, yeah, like people were eating her up on, on Twitter, right? Because, you know, she's supposed to be called Mercedes. They're like Toyota, Impala, Pinto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was... She was too much though. Like I feel like she was just trying to get like a spin-off show or something. Yes. Because she was just like there was parts where you're like, oh my gosh, this is so awkward to watch. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Oh, you're so cute, Poppy, and like touching him and he's just like looking at her like girl. But I you- don't need to say Sully's name ever again. Bitch, are you okay, serious just, right like, now? Like, I know, you're like, what are you talking about? Like and where did it lead her? Where did it lead her in the end? But you know, uh, what's that guy's name? Carrington? Mm-hmm. So remember when Carrington was like, he, they were like, oh, you can take somebody out on a date? Mm-hmm. And he chose her? I was like, okay, he fully knew he was going to recouple with the blonde girl. Mm-hmm. But he took Mercedes mm-hmm. because he knew that she's going to give up the goods. Yeah, that's all, that's all it is. You know and, what I mean? So, and that's why sometimes women, when we think we are so like, we can use sex appeal to get a man's attention and everything. But when a man is truly ready to choose a partner, sometimes, and you know, mm-hmm. he's going to be with the one who he connects with emotionally, because sex is some yeah, you're good for sex, and that's all you are. You're good to make out with. You're good to get my rocks. You know, right. But I don't, if I see long-term, you're not it. So she came in, instead of thinking of showing her truth, because she's like, I'm not easy. I'm not, like, the sex for me is very sacred and everything. But coming spoke differently. It spoke differently. So easily, I think Johnny could have been swayed by Mercedes if she showed a personality that was sweet, that was kind, or Mm -hmm. that was, you know, without being all sexual. At the end of the day, he's like, "Um, I have Sully there who I'm very attracted to. If I need that intimacy, I can get it from her, but I need someone who I can be playful with, joke around with. So I'm not going to jeopardize that for some fun. I had my fun and that's it. Yeah. Unless, like, unless Mercedes, her, I mean, no, the objection of the show is to make sure, like, you can stay in this island, so to speak. So, anyway, she, I think that she came on too strong, and if she played her cards right, I think a little bit of, like, a little bit of flirtation and all that would have kept her. But I think it just made the guys think that she was, like, really easy, unfortunately. And it's so funny. I mean, like, it's one thing to be like, oh, sex is really sacred and this is this is really important to me. But then you're like jumping down, like you're making out with Carrington in the washroom. You're making out with Johnny. Like, why would they choose her exactly. to say, B, 
because it is all strategy, right? So it's just like if a new guy comes on, they'll think, well, is she going to take go for the new guy and leave me mm-hmm. out? So I have to be recoupled. But the show is like a train wreck and I cannot stop watching it. <laughs> it like, is like, it. you don't even understand. Like at nine o'clock, I don't care what I'm doing. Like there were times, like yesterday, a friend called, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I have to call her back. She called me at nine. And I was like, I'm sorry, but like, I gotta go. Because <laughs> I know hers is not like, oh, hi, just checking in. I wanted to know if this is and then gone. She's going to keep you on the phone for 10 hours. So <laughs> that, you know, I don't have that energy. Right now, my focus is on what the hell is going to happen in the house. And I haven't called her back and I have to call her. So, yeah, yeah. and it, but it, it's, um, I tried to like get Kwame into it, and he was like, yeah. I was telling him something about it and he puts his earphones back on. He's like, I'm not watching that trash. But um, anyways, going to something that is of more value and substance. Yes. Um, We have not had a chance yet to talk about our African excellence as well as our Afrifacts. Yes. So should we, what what, what would you prefer to start on? Afrifax or African excellence? What do we usually do? I don't even remember. We don't need to do what we usually do, but. Yeah, I think we normally go with the facts and then we go towards excellence. But it doesn't really matter. Who cares? It's the same beat we'll use either way. So. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, Okay. How about, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll do African excellence. Okay, so here we go. Drum roll, please. Um, so I thought this would be a really cool one to highlight, especially in 2020, since 2020 has been such a disaster. Um, but I came across the 30 Under 30 for Forbes Africa. And uh, I just thought, you know, for for a lot of entrepreneurs, it's really challenging to stay afloat, especially during um, COVID. And so I thought I would I would highlight one of the 30, um, 30 under 30 in Africa. So this gentleman's name, I'm not going to butcher it this time, Adra, I promise, but is Thobo Kathola Kathola. He's 28, 28 girl, 28, and from Botswana. And I thought I'd pick, I'd pick him because um, especially uh, all across the world, especially in North America, there's just like this stress about education and going back to school and all that kind of stuff. So I thought I'd focus on education. He's the founder and managing director and CEO of Lion Tutoring. And the industry is education technology. But it began in 2015 after his experience as a university student um, tutor. He was keen on improving the pass rates of students in Botswana. So he started operating from the the trunk of of his car in his parents' home to offer tutoring services to youth in Botswana. And then shortly after that, he took loans from friends and family and it paid off. Um, and, you know, one client turned into two, turned into 10, became 100, and then more than 1,000 clients each year. So um, he's been called the Uber for tutors, and he now owns offices both in Botswana and South Africa. 
And I just thought that was pretty amazing because, you know, we always talk about the fact that like you should you like you never give up on your dream. And I know that sounds really cliche, but, um, you know, especially during COVID, people have become, like we always say, more reflect- reflective and um realize what their sort of like some of their dreams are so this is such a good example of like really not to give up um, because you never really know what sort of needs are going to come out of certain situations like look at in relation to sort of like education technology and just education with all the parents that are um, not sending their kids back to school the, the one thing that they are considering is like these learning pods so there's like there's this group that I'm in in Facebook and it's thousands of parents across Ontario I think it is in Toronto specifically um, and they're all looking for like a teacher or teachers are advertising their services and who would have thought that this is like a niche that has become a part of like COVID so it's just sort of to to say that you just really no, never know when your next best idea is going to come up. But if it, if it does come up, like, you know, run with it and see where it takes you. But uh, anyways, I just wanted to highlight um, his really great work because he's an example of like, you know, just sticking to it. And now he's got a lucrative business in two parts of Africa. So I've always appreciate, appreciated home tutors and people who can tutor outside of the classroom because Every student is different. And when you're in a classroom that has maybe over 30 students, the teacher can't realistically help each student out individually. And I grew up, when I was growing up in Ghana, my mom and dad always hired home tutors after school who would help us maybe with homework, stuff we didn't understand, and mostly in subjects that we found difficult. So it was always going to be like, um, math or science or whatever and it was very beneficial for us because this teacher was able to um trans like put the um teach us that will be easier for my sister and I to absorb as opposed to being in the classroom Mm -hmm. so I always admire people who are able to do that and help people out because as much as school is great sometimes you don't get the one-on-one unless you go to private school yeah exactly it was the same and when we went to boarding school we had some teachers who would have um tutoring sessions outside of the classroom so then we could get that one-on-one study and help us improve as opposed to the whole classroom dynamic so i'm glad and with technology nowadays this is a great idea especially with parents who are now having to homeschool their kids and I think about it I'm like if I have kids right now my kids will fail because I have no idea what math and science is like nowadays so and, it, and it's like in parents like who has who has the time like you have to work full-time I read this um, statistic in I think it's in Ontario or Canada I think it's like one out of every three parents or like uh, mothers are um, have considered um, taking a leave of absence of, from work to help their kid with their education because you know especially with high school high school I think it's you it's kind of staggered where it's like two days in and then the rest of it is e-learning mm-hmm. um, so gosh I don't know I'm just glad that my son is like super young still 
So it's not something like it's it's a different type of stress, but and hopefully, God willing, if um, with this when this is over, you'll be back in school, so you don't have to. Yeah, I don't have to deal. With <laughs> crazy. All right, so on to Afrifax. Um, I'm sure now with all that's going on in the world and in the U.S., everybody, this name has become so famous and popular. And I believe that I think Michael B. Jordan and somebody else are planning to recreate a um, biopic on this man's life. And I'm going to highlight Mansa Musa. He was the 10th Mansa of the Mali Empire, an Islamic West African state. He has been described as the wealthiest individual of the Middle Ages. At the time of Mansa's, Musa's, at the time of Musa's ascension to the throne, Mali in large part consisted of the territory of the former Ghana Empire, which Mali had conquered. And it is estimated that if we're to change it to today's currency, he would have been worth over 400 billion US dollars for about 400, maybe more, maybe a little less, but about 400 billion US dollars. And to this day, that would make him one of the wealthiest people to have ever lived. And he is a West African. <laughs> so, wow. And he is African, most importantly. And I think this is the motivation that we need that we do come from one of, we come from the wealthiest continent in the world. Right. And we, there's so much potential for us to go back to rebuild our countries and to create that wealth if only we will come together as a people and see the importance of building our countries where we can become almost self-dependent i would rather be dependent on how many countries does africa have is it 56 might be wrong please forgive me <laughs> i don't know but if we are only dependent on each other, all of us on the African continent, without having to depend on the Asia, on China or North America or you know Europe, we could conquer. So, just we need to go back in history to show that we are people like that existed and it can happen again. So, that's why. Well, uh, sorry, it says at first I, I see one that says there's 54 countries and then. 55 states yeah 54 countries yeah so it's about 50 something countries in africa um so yeah we are we are basically we have as many states and countries as the united states so if we can come together as united states of africa who needs the west for anything who needs the east for anything we have it all so this is just an example of if the richest man in history came from Africa, Lord knows what we're sitting on. I know. We're sitting on so much potential and like promise and just so much. We just have to tune in to find out yes. within ourselves how we can be just as lucrative based on such a like uh, a wealthy lineage that's yes. maybe not like directly. <laughs> part of our family but like you know it all connects it all connects exactly, exactly. anyways um we want to jump in so i just wanted to give a little disclaimer um here um so 
a lot of I've noticed, I'm sure some of you have noticed that our interviews that we've had may not necessarily, um, or things that we discuss may not necessarily um, be in line with what's happening currently. But um, Nicole and I are very busy people. <laughs> Nicole, more so <laughs> Nicole than me. Um, so sometimes we record these interviews and we're not able to put it out immediately because we have busy schedules. So sometimes we have to do the interview and then we do the intros later. So I just wanted to say this next interview that we have, we recorded it a, a while, not a while ago, but maybe a, a few weeks ago. But um, it was with an amazing comic artist. He is, he was amazing to have on the show. And um, yeah, so just stay tuned and we're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, you will hear our interview with the lovely Okay, perfect. So we are recording. All right, so I'll pass it to you, Adra. Hi, John. Welcome to our podcast. We really appreciate you being here. So for those who don't know you, our listeners who may not know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on your podcast. And um, I'm an illustrator a cartoonist and a graphic designer. Mm -hmm. um, I think you first uh, found out about my work through the comics I was doing for Now Magazine. Yes. Uh, so that's the most recent project I've been working on. And um, uh, my other projects have also dealt with uh, policing and um, carding in Toronto. And um, I also like to do uh, other self-published comics work, um, different subjects. It's not all like social justice stuff. I also uh, am interested in like horror and sci-fi and um, yeah, and then freelance illustration work and graphic design work as well. Okay. So has the, like the Now Magazine thing, was you, as you said, it was just something that happened recently but i remember i saw your i mean we'll go deep into it later because i saw the carded one which really drew my attention the comic on that because that was super interesting as well but um so is this what you do as a full-time thing comic um being a cartoonist a, uh what do you call it an illustrator a graphic designer is this your full-time gig no i have a full-time gig but uh, due to the pandemic, I've actually been home from that job for six months or so, um, which gives me a lot more time to focus on doing my own projects. Yeah. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess, being home from work all day. Yeah. Um, but well, as long as I'm able to stay self-directed and uh, keep busy, then 
you know, I don't, I don't go stir crazy. Yeah. Well, we've found, like we've spoken to in the interviews that we've had over the last six months, a lot of people have really like explored their creative side and have been able to focus more on the things that they like their passion um, projects, I would say. Um, so I can totally understand that you're like, as long as you're self-directed and it sort of like motivates you then to, you know, just come up with new illustrations and projects. But what would you say was your inspiration to actually get into illustration and becoming a, a cartoonist or an illustrator? Um, I first got really uh, interested in doing it as, uh, as a career when I was pretty young. Um, I played in bands when I was a teenager. Uh, I'm originally from Edmonton, Alberta, mm -hmm. and I was part of uh, the music scene there. Oh, cool. Uh, I started doing a lot of gig posters and um, like t-shirt designs and that sort of thing for my band and other bands as well. Mm -hmm. And that kind of just snowballed into um, considering a career doing that. So I first I went to school at a place called the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology in Edmonton, and I studied graphic design there. And um, about 10 years ago, I moved out to Toronto and uh, attended OCAD for mm -hmm. illustration. That's cool. And um, so when you were working with the band, were you a performer or were you just doing the illustration or were you um, a musician? What were you originally? Uh, I was a performer. Okay, so you sing? I sang and played guitar mostly. Oh, cool. Can we get a bit of a something a later? Sample? <laughs> a sample of your song or of your singing voice or your song? Oh, it's kind of funny. It's, um, it's not that I'm embarrassed about it, but uh, it was so long ago and I was so young that yeah. the songs I wrote and performed back then, I kind of cringe when I hear them now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so I don't, you might you might be able to get something out of me eventually, or uh, or you might find it somewhere online. But um, we will go I, searching. I, now that you said it, I am making it my mission to look for don't it. From, <laughs> there's stuff out there. I have ways to get it too. I know who to talk to to get it too. So. <laughs> so does your drawing and being a cartoonist allow you to express yourself freely? And perhaps would you say it allows you to have a bit of an alter ego? I know with Nicole and I, we were just talking about this, that um, outside of our podcast, we are we're almost the same, but we're different. But I think our personalities differ on our podcast um, because we know this is our craft, our way of expressing ourselves would you say the same thing about your illustrations and your comics and what's not um i think so uh, especially for the sort of work i was doing for now um it i almost consider it a form of activism those sorts of comics um and I never really considered myself like um, a big activist necessarily. 
but in this current time of ours, I think it's really important to leverage whatever uh, skills and privilege that you have to showcase those skills in a productive way. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't feel right just kind of making comics or comic stories that didn't have some relevance to our, our point in time right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, in a way, it is a different side of my personality coming out and um, I'm getting a lot of thoughts and feelings and ideas out in the world that um, I may not have a platform for in everyday life. I think in this time, um, we're all using somehow, even if we can't, I know I cannot go into the streets and protest for health reasons, but I think we're all trying to find our way to express or talk about what this issue, this issue, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's through our, if you're creative, you're using your platform or whether you are, no matter your industry, I know friends of mine who are lawyers are basically doing pro bono work for protesters who get arrested. So it's funny how this turn of events has all, has forced us to all use our platforms in different ways. But having said that, what would you say is your favorite piece of work you have done so far? You mean um, now strips specifically or just overall? Overall, overall, everything you've done, what would you say you're very, is your favorite or you're most passionate about or has its place in your heart? Um, I think I'm really proud of the first comic I did for now. Um, I don't even know if you remember what the first one was, but it was a personal story about uh, my history with uh, police altercations and police harassment. And it was really the first time I put something that personal into a comic. And it's not just that it was personal. Um, that's not the only reason I'm proud of it, but also because I think it speaks to a lot of experiences that um, Canadians of color and marginalized Canadians uh, have had, but don't necessarily have uh, a way to express that to a larger audience. And also, I just I was I was proud of the art in it. Um, I don't often work in color when I'm drawing comics. I do a lot of black, and this project is all in color. And I was pretty happy with how that came out. Um, it's kind of inspired me to explore working in color further. Is there is yeah? You're probably gonna ask the same thing. I'm curious. <laughs> is there a reason why like uh, black and white is sort of like was more your go-to before exploring color? Uh, I think uh, there's a number of reasons. Um, for one, I I really just like the aesthetic of black and white comics. Mm -hmm. Um, I read, I grew up reading a lot of underground, well, not grew up, I still read a lot of underground comics and a lot of, a lot of those are in black and white. And um, it's, 
I guess for cartoonists, a big part of learning the art form is learning how to balance the blacks and whites. This is kind of like technical comic geek stuff, but (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) there's a sense of um, you're really uh, accomplishing something and honing your craft if you can just make something that's just in black and white um, have, have a really big impact and read really well based on how you balance the blacks and whites. And another reason is that um, I used to exclusively work uh, manually, like with ink on paper. Oh, okay. And I recently uh, switched to, not switched to, but have included digital drawing into my repertoire, which makes the process of adding color um, just way faster and less, um, uh, I guess, laborious, laborious. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas before I would have to use a scanner to scan drawings and clean those up and then layer in the color. But now I can just do it all in one go on the iPad. So it's a time thing and um, yeah, and it's, uh, especially for the now, the now comics are, there is a really quick um, turnaround for those strips uh, every week. So really the only way I could get those done in such a quick turnaround was to do it digitally. And so it's a, yeah, it's, that's a big part of it is the digital art. I was going to say, is it, is it partially also like just the signs of the times, like in that industry that things are, are going more in that direction of doing more digital than um, sort of hand drawing, like you were saying? I think for a lot of, a lot of cartoonists, it is also because so much uh, comic art is coming out digitally, um, just as much as it is being printed and distributed in book form. Right. Uh, but it's really, it's really a cartoonist's personal preference. I don't think okay. I'll ever, I don't think I'll ever fully, fully stop doing ink on paper, like mm-hmm. just because it's, it's a process that I enjoy. Right. And get a lot of pleasure out of just like getting messy and getting ink everywhere. <laughs> So I like, I like to have a little of both. And I think that's the case for a lot of cartoonists, but other cartoonists will definitely stick to one or the other. Right. Well, you said that you were reading, um, or you, you currently still read like some underground comic um, books, but like what, what comic books inspired you as a kid? And, and do you have any favorite, like favorite comic books as well as like favorite characters? Uh, definitely. Definitely. Um, one of the underground black and white comics that was a huge inspiration to me uh, and still is, is a book called Love and Rockets. Okay. It's, um, it's been running for over 30, maybe almost 40 years at this point. And it's produced by uh, a set of brothers um, from uh, Southern California. They go by Los Bros Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, uh, they're Latinx. Okay. Uh, and it's a comic that 
it started off kind of a little bit sci-fi mixed with just like everyday life for for these punk rockers in Southern California, kind of semi-autobiographical. Mm -hmm. And um, as it evolved over the years, it really kind of veered more towards the semi-autobiographical slice of life kind of stuff and away from the sci-fi. Right. And it was, it was definitely, um, it gave me ideas about how to how to write comics that even though I might not be writing directly about myself, it's a way to get ideas um, into a story that relate to things I'm going to, even if it's, if it's through auxiliary characters. Um, but uh, other comics that, I, that I've grown up with, um, when I was younger, it was superhero stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which I don't read a lot of anymore. Here and there I do. Um, there's, there's certain books that I'll pick up, but I don't, uh, I don't like read them month to month or uh, I'm not super invested in the superhero stuff these days, but I was obsessed with Spider-Man when I was a kid mm -hmm. to the point where I would like make my own costumes and like <laughs> in my bedroom window, like just crimes going on in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. My, uh, my partner, you've, you've got to meet him. He's like, he's obsessed. Our, our place is just filled with um, comic books, but um, he's still really into like the superhero stuff. And uh, I think he goes every Tuesday or Wednesday to the comic book store because that's when they get new releases. So <laughs> he's um, he's dragged me to Comic-Con a, a few times. Um, I'm assuming you've probably been there as a, as a cartoonist or an illustrator. It's just so overwhelming if you're really not into it. But it's it's fascinating to be there. Honestly, I've, I've never actually been to a Comic-Con. Oh, okay. Um, I, I've been to TCAF a lot of times. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware. It's is, the, uh, is that like a, a sort of the same idea, like a convention or like a... Yeah, it's, uh, it's the one they hold at the um, Toronto Reference Library once a year. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have seen the advertisements for that, yeah. Yeah, um, so that one I try to get to every year. But um, yeah, the big conventions, I've, I don't know if it's like my aversion to large crowds or something. <laughs> you get that at TCAF too, but I think it's a whole other level at... Uh, Oh, at Comic-Con, it's just, it's super intense. I mean, there's people that are, like, there's all sorts of, like, range of fans, but then there's some people who are just, like, in character as you're talking to them, and it's really, yeah, it's overwhelming, but it's, it, it, it brought, like, it just opened my eyes to illustration specifically, just because um, my partner, he's also doing a documentary on um, black artists and black comic book heroes, superheroes and things like that. So we were there to specifically um, meet black uh, illustrators and you're, I was just floored at the talent. It's just amazing. And like when we left, I remember saying like if there was one thing, like if there was, you know, my top three talents that I could be born with, one would be to draw like that because it's just so amazing and impressive, you know? Yeah, it's, it's especially amazing when you can see um, 
a really skilled professional cartoonist in action. Yes, 100%. I, I just wish I can get to that level of speed and accuracy, you know? Yeah, it definitely takes, like, I don't know, it's just, that's actually one of the questions we go into later, sort of about your process. But we're just going to take a very quick break and we will be right back with John. cartoons and what's not what drew my attention to you john is um vesna brought your comic to work one day which is the carded and i read it and i think she and i were talking about race in canada and all these things that are going on and i read the comic and i i had never heard about the neptune four she was telling me about it's similar to the what they now call them exonerated five but before they were the central park five and she told me you wrote a whole comic on it and i read it and i was like this is so inspiring so for those who don't know about the neptune four can you um tell us a little about their story and what led you to t write um to do a comic on their story uh, so the there at the time of the incident that um, is the focal point of the comic they were a group of teen boys uh, four black boys um, uh, living in an area of Toronto called the Neptune Housing Project. And they were walking home from a uh, community building event. Mm -hmm. And when they were approached by two police officers uh, from the Tavis unit, which is now disbanded, um, <clears throat> but the Tavis unit was essentially like, um, they would patrol uh, like uh, housing project areas and stuff like that specifically. And we're, we're kind of notorious for the amount of carding that they, they would do. And so the boys, uh, when they were approached, they tried to exercise their right to not be uh, detained arbitrarily. And 
the police officers, they didn't respect that right. And, uh, you know, there's, there's varying accounts of what happened. Luckily, it was caught on video, which is maybe the only reason that it made it, uh, made it to the, um, like, through the complaints process. I don't know if much would have happened if they didn't have that security video. But um, essentially, uh, one of the boys who, uh, who was a little bit more, um, more actively trying to walk away from the situation was uh, roughed up, punched by the police officer. Um, one of the officers pulled his gun on them and sat them on the ground. And while they were terrified, just sitting there on the sidewalk, uh, being detained for no reason for walking through walking through their neighborhood, and um, they were arrested. They were accused of assaulting the officers. The officers claimed that the boys rushed them. Um, they uh, the officers claimed that they used all kinds of profanity and were being super aggressive. Uh, all the charges against the boys were eventually dropped and uh, the case uh, went to the uh, Toronto uh, Police Complaints Board and that's when I, I became interested in the story and uh, I was actually contacted by my partner, my writing partner for the book, uh, Brian Greenbaum who is a lawyer, who, um, who at the time is uh, really focused on um, like human rights issues and the issue of carding. Uh, he had worked previously for the, uh, I can't remember the exact name of the organization, the African Canadian Legal Defense uh, something. Yeah, I apologize, I can't remember their full title. So he's very tuned into these issues and understands it from more of a technical, legal angle. Uh, and he approached me to do a comic about it. And his thinking for the comic was that we would attend these uh, dis police disciplinary hearings and listen to the testimonies of uh, the, four, the four men involved. They're now all... Um, over the age of 19, so they're not boys anymore. Um, by the time the, the, the uh, complaints process started, they, they had all grown up, and it was four or five years later, I think. Oh my God. Big, big delay. And um, so we started attending these hearings, and I was kind of uh, acting as like a courtroom uh, sketch artist in a way. Yeah. I was sketching uh, the testimony, the people making the testimony and taking a lot of notes about their testimony. And later on, I would, uh, I would form that into, into a readable comic and um, with, um, with kind of like uh, commentary from myself and Bryant uh, interspersed as well as further context about 
the history of policing Black people in Canada. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's so sad because I remember when George Floyd was killed um, and I put something on my Facebook and I have quite a few friends who still live in Ghana. And I remember a friend of mine said, Canada, you don't have to worry. You're in Canada. You guys don't have to worry about racism or police brutality because you're in Canada. And I had to tell him that, I'm sorry, but it's no different here. It might not be on the news like the George Floyd, doesn't make international news like George Floyd or Trayvon Martin or all those who died, um, Rashad, Rashad Brooks and all of that. We, it might not make global news, but it happens frequently. And some things are, you know, shoved under the rug. We, some of us may never hear about it. And then some things are made public, but we're not exempt. Black people are not exempt in Canada. We're not getting, we're not treated any differently. It might not be maybe as severe as the US and maybe that's my small mindedness but it happens and it happens quite frequently. And to know that these young boys had to deal with this for five years before it was even brought before a disciplinary um, tribunal, um, it's sad because they've had to carry this for five years and they will still carry it for the rest of their lives because we live in Canada. And it, it's on, even if they're exonerated from it, somehow it's still on their record in a way, or people who know about their story and it can affect them. So it is, I'm glad you brought it to light. You have this comic that is out there, but it is so frequent that it's sad that we're not exempt in Canada as a person of color, black, brown, whatever, minority, it does affect us here. Yeah, there's like a total mis misconception about that, especially, you know, comparing the U.S. and, and Canada. But, um, John, you mentioned earlier, um, actually, sorry, do you focus your comic, your drawings, your illustrations, usually on the current issues um, like that may affect the Black community or racialized, a racialized community? I know you said earlier that your focus is not only on social justice type of um, illustrations, but is is this um sort of what led you focusing on um issues related to social justice is this sort of what led you to create the comic about the media's glorified portrayal of the cops and sort of unpacking all of that yeah definitely um it's just it's just such uh, an important time to speak on these issues and just the fact that I was offered this platform with now which has a very large readership it felt like it would have been a real missed opportunity to not speak about these sorts of things uh, because right. it's not that it's not an opportunity that comes along that often um, even if I were to you know, do these sorts of comics and publish them on my own or in another magazine. Um, I don't think there's a lot of 
a lot of other publications that would get as many eyes on them as like a free weekly um, like newspaper, you know? Right. Um, so the fact that there was such a large readership was a big part of the inspiration for wanting to deal with those issues. So what's your process, like to lighten it up a bit, but what is your process in developing um, comics? Is it relevant to real life or is it perhaps what you would like to see happen? I mean, you're talking about racial, um, the cops and what's not, but um, outside of that, what is your whole process? Is it something that's, other than we know some of the things are real life, but are there things that in an utopian world you would love to happen or how do you go about it? Uh, it's definitely important for me to speak about um, things that I know about personally. Mm -hmm. um, the writing part come, doesn't come easy to me. Uh, <laughs> I was definitely um, an artist before I was a writer. Right. So it takes a lot of research and many drafts for me to be able to come up with a script that I'm happy with. And I feel like unless, if there's not a personal angle to it, then I don't necessarily feel super confident putting it out there. Mm -hmm. um, like in all of the, uh, in all of the comics I've done about policing or uh, blackness in Canada, um, I always, I've been inserting myself in some way into it, just, uh, just to reflect my own experience with the issues that I'm talking about. And even though that makes me feel like even though I might not be like the authority or um, an expert on all these issues, at least I can be the authority on my own experience. Right. Um, so that's, that's uh, an important part of my writing process. And uh, as for the art, the artistic side of it, um, I, I, I want to make something that is uh, not just not just effectively tells the story, but is also nice to look at, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is a visual medium and it'll hold people's interest more if uh, the art looks good, obviously. Um, so, you know, it's a it's a constant uh, it's a constant process to build on those artistic skills. Um, but uh, I'm, my process is evolving too. Like I said, I recently moved more towards uh, digital art and doing a lot of, um, a lot of coloring on, uh, on the iPad. And above all, that is, that's taken a lot of the labor out of it and given me a lot more time to focus on the craft, I guess, if that makes sense. Because mm -hmm. 
because when you're doing everything manually, there's just, there's so many, so many little tasks that have to be done mm -hmm. that it's almost like you're, uh, you're kind of dividing your time equally between actually doing the art and then preparing the art for the next step, you know? It's interesting, like you mentioned, developing a script, because I don't even think I've ever really thought of it in the sense that, um, like you, it's a two-part process. Do you know what I mean? Like you just automatically think that, like we get the final product. So we see the, we see the illustration and we see the script, but I, I didn't even, it didn't even like occur to me that there's this development of um, like how the story is going to actually develop, you know? And in my mind, when I think about um, comic books and like perhaps like a, a huge publishing company that, that does all this stiff stuff, I'm, I'm thinking there's somebody who does like the storyline, somebody who does the illustration and then somebody who, who does the script as well. But it's like, it must be, it's, it, it sounds like really challenging to be able to come up with everything right it's just it's such an intricate process that like it didn't even occur to me that you know you have to think of a script as well yeah it's it's uh it's more pressure definitely than well maybe not because when you're when you're drawing someone else's script that's a lot of pressure too to get to get the what they're describing in the script um looking some way like they expect it to look right but you're right with larger comics publishers there is usually more of a division of labor um there's the a writer um a penciler an inker a colorist um to a different wow. degree those tasks are divided up maybe um more or less um but uh, for a cartoonist doing everything, um, there's, uh, there's a lot to consider. Yeah, it's crazy. So do you go into like a zone where you're like, okay, today I am going to spend my time drawing. So do you get like a favorite drink? Do you play certain music? Do you lock yourself in the room? Or do you prefer daytime, nighttime, middle of the, like, do you have to block out every, and everybody to go into that zone or your type of person who could be watching TV and just sketching along like what is how does that work for you uh, for the writing uh, specifically I I like to do that during the day I think mainly and uh, I I pretty much need to block out most distractions when I'm writing uh, maybe I can listen to music, but even that can kind of throw me off because um, the writing is the hardest part for me, definitely. Yeah. And um, it's, it doesn't come easily. So I need, I, I definitely need to just kind of try to, to push everything out and just be laser focused on, on what is the story going to be. And then once, once I have the story scripted out and I know basically what I want each comic panel to be, mm -hmm. um, and I can, then I can start doing the rough drawings and I don't, uh, 
I don't worry so much about the distractions. I can have uh, a TV show on or a movie while I'm while I'm doing the drawing and the coloring. Mm-hmm. And usually the art, the art, the coloring, the the drawing. I I'd like to say that I prefer to do that during like working hours, waking hours as well. But a lot of times it'll take me late into the night, um, especially working on a deadline. I might, I might be up until my partner wakes up in the morning working on something. (laughs) You never really know because you just gotta go with it. Yeah. Did you? Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna ask. I I don't know if I if I missed it, but did you say? Do you have anything that you listen to? Like while you're like, are your Adra said if you had like headphones in and sort of like tune out to the world. But did you say you listen to any music? And if so, sort of like what are you listening to? Yeah, I uh, I I listen to everything. Um, like I listen to music. I listen to podcasts. I might throw a movie on on my laptop to just kind of half watch but um yeah i'm i'm a really i'm a really big like music nerd i guess in a way (laughs) so i'm always exploring and looking for new music to listen to and uh i've always got i've got a playlist on the go that i'm always updating and adding to and subtracting from so that that definitely helps when i'm in those really long haul drawing sessions to have that sort of entertainment in the background. Any favorite, any favorite genres you prefer? Uh, I listen to a lot of rap music. Um, mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of um, like 70s soul music, um, funk music, um, all sorts of stuff. I, I went through a phase recently of uh, really digging into obscure like 60s rock and roll like psychedelic <laughs> um, so yeah i like everything i like to go on like obscure blogs and just like take the recommendations from the blogs and see what it's all about you know <laughs> yeah. that's cool anyways we're gonna take a short break and then we'll be back with john to wrap up So thank you everybody. Uh, We are back uh, with John and um, 
really interesting conversation, really opening up my mind to the, the sort of the life, the day in the life of an illustrator. And I was thinking once we, um, our company, Adra and I, our company develops more, we, it would be great to sort of like do a, a, a visual piece on you actually drawing because you've made it sound so um, amazing just to think of like, how thoughtful and detailed you have to be in creating these storylines and and as we were saying before the script and so forth um but sort of circling back talking about like um your role within the industry and this industry in its entirety do you think that it's become more inclusive with bringing more black or racialized artists on board, but also like black characters in stories. So you mentioned, I think you said that the the one that you really like was Los Brothers, Hernandez or something, sorry. <laughs> I don't know if I said it right, but like that's, you know, representation of Latinx, um, the Latinx community. So in your experience and your perspective, do you think that the industry has become more inclusive? In a way, definitely. Um, it's honestly a really contentious issue right now um, in, I guess, uh, comics, comic book, Twitter, or whatever you want to call it, the online discourse. There's, there's an ongoing um, thing called Comicsgate right now. Right. You may have heard of Gamergate. It's like the same thing. There's a lot of backlash against companies trying to make the industry more inclusive. Mm -hmm. so it's become a bit of a culture war. Um, but that being said, there's so many avenues for cartoonists to get their stuff out there right now mm -hmm. that they don't necessarily have to rely on the, the big companies in the industry. There's a lot of smaller companies that are very diverse and um, it's a lot easier to publish your own stuff than it used to be. Um, overall, though, it, is, it has definitely become more diverse. In the past, there was, like, usually if there was a black character in a superhero book, um, it's most likely it was written and drawn by non-black creators, you know? Right. Um, because, you know, in the 60s and 70s, when a lot of these stories were just being um, conceived, uh, there weren't a lot of people of color um, or women, frankly, in the industry right. working at all. Uh, it was basically a white, a white men's club. And that is, that's definitely changed over the decades. There's a lot of really, really strong voices um, doing mainstream and underground comics that uh, that are more uh, focused on uh, diverse people and being made by diverse groups of people. And I I think now it's almost I I feel like some of our stories need to be told by us, your people in your in people. Um, BIPOC communities need to be told by those people because always, well, as they always say, the um, story is always told by the victor, if I'm not saying it correctly, but it's nice to know that 
um, there is more people of color becoming a part of the the industry because to be honest i'm not much of a comic book person the one comic that i was very very much into was the archie comics <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it, I, and if i'm not mistaken i think there was only one black character in the whole archie comic and back then it was a it wasn't reading it now as an adult you start to see some of the biases and then the racialized comments that were made so now it's great to see more people of color joining the industry i know my my first cousin is an illustrator and he's also um a writer as well so to know that he's now getting gaining a bit of traction in the uk with his work and what's not so it's nice to see that finally the voices of black artists are being heard and seen um and you're able to tell our stories you're able to portray characters who look like us in a more positive light other than like i guess in the x-men whatever you have storm who is a black you know and then the black panther and all of that but the little that i know it's not always the case you know so um having said all of that that long spiel <laughs> what can we expect from you in the future is there anything you're working on right now that you want to share or you can share or are there any future projects um coming up or you're planning on doing what can you let the audience know about john's story um i've been working on um on uh on a new comics project that uh, I kind of started working on at the start of the quarantine mm -hmm. when I realized I had all this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, um, it, it relates to my interest in uh, like horror and sci-fi, mm -hmm. um, but also with an angle uh, relating to being a person of color who is often uh, not as represented in those stories, or those stories don't always take the experiences of uh, BIPOC people and um, incorporate them into the story so much. They might just be there in the story, but it doesn't really, their, their race isn't relevant to the story itself. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's the kind of stories I've been working on lately. Um, and uh, I don't know when that'll be available or really exactly what it's gonna look like yet. I'm, it's, my vision for it is a collection of short stories mm -hmm. that I will compile into uh, probably a zine format, mm -hmm. uh, depending how big I decide to make it. I might, might make it into an actual book or it could remain as an ongoing zine series. Um, and that's really my my main comic focus right now. Um, in the meantime, I'm doing freelance illustration work. Um, I just did a t-shirt design for the uh, Buxton Homecoming. Okay, uh, yes. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that because your family history is quite interesting too, so. 
because your your um, what do you call it? Because your family is um, original, one of the original Black Canadians in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. The the town where my grandmother is from, uh, Buxton, Ontario, was one of the first Black communities established in Canada mm -hmm. um, in the uh, 18, uh, 1850s. Okay. I think it was, I think it was 1850 when it was established. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a town established by freed slaves. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very, it's closely connected to Chatham, Ontario, which mm -hmm. is a short drive away, which is also um, historic, uh, historic Canadian town for its um, history of of black settlement in that area. That's where my grandpa is from. So okay. my grandpa were from these two towns that are really close together. Mm -hmm. um, my grandpa was like the city boy from Big Chatham coming <laughs> this little farm town of Buckton. <laughs> my grandpa away is the is the story that they tell us. <laughs> That's that pretty so awesome. That is super cool. Well, John, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say the uh, the homecoming uh, yes. is an event. Um, this year would be the ninety seventh one. Wow! Oh, wow! Because of COVID, they have to do it virtually this year. Interesting. So I I contributed a T shirt design um, that they can sell online. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, hopefully that that helps in some way. So how are like what is the homecoming like? Is it um, is it like something I would have seen in a typical black movie where families <laughs> all come together in their t-shirts and they have like there's lots of food, there's games, there's like this massive reunion. Is that am I picturing it right, or am I just um, making it seem so Hollywood? You know, that's that's not too. Um, most of the events take place um, essentially in the middle of like uh, farmers fields okay. and, um, they set up a giant tent where there's a Friday night dance every year. Okay. I always say it's the best party of the summer because <laughs> they get a good DJ and um, like there's like four five generations of people all out there dancing at the same time and Very cool. age like 60 to 106 <laughs> yeah. That's and, so cool. um, there's a family family feud softball tournament oh cool um big like uh barbecue cookouts and so it, it it's probably not too far off from what you imagine <laughs> So anybody, can anybody attend or do you have to be part of um, a family that is from Ch um, Buxton to be able to attend? Oh, everybody is welcome. It's encouraged. Uh, a lot of people uh, like to visit Buxton to um, visit the uh, Historical Society Museum, mm -hmm. um, which has a lot of uh, like old artifacts from, you know, the from the time of slavery and just um, it's it's uh, kind of like a trove of information about uh, about the transition from slavery to freedom in Canada. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it's it's definitely attended by all sorts of people, whether they have family there or not. Well, I will keep it in mind for next year. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> 20, 2021 is better and at least something we can start gathering again. So I'll definitely keep it in mind to attend because I think I went to an event two years ago. It was a Black History event. And I feel like somebody from that museum was there to promote it. And he said, oh, you should visit, you should visit, but I've never had the chance. So now that I know that there's a homecoming, I'll definitely put it in my calendar for next year. Hopefully it won't be virtual. I can physically be there to enjoy it. But how yeah. far is, is Buxton from Toronto? What kind of drive is that like? Uh, driving, it's about uh, three hours, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not too bad. So we'll pack our bags, Adjwa, and yes. stay the night for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come as John's family. They might not know, but we're the, the African branch. <laughs> <laughs> we're the extended, extended family, extended, extended family. <laughs> but um, thank you so much, John. This has been really fascinating learning about uh, what you do in your craft. And it's definitely, like I said before, it's totally opened up my mind um, to just like the process in itself has just been so um, fascinating. And I have like a much more respect, not that I was not respecting it before, but I have such respect for artists in general. Um, so this has really like elevated that respect, just knowing um, how much work goes into, how much work and, and thought goes into creating these um, these illustrations. So thank you so much for joining us on a Friday night in the summer. <laughs> it's been awesome. And uh, oh, one more thing is we'll definitely, um, if, is there a place that people can see your illustrations? Like, do you have a, a social media platform or page that we can connect people to take a look? Um, mostly I just post stuff on my website. Um, okay. Kind of social media shy, to be honest. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> um, my website is just my name, uh, johnolby.com, J-O-N-O-L-B-E-Y. Okay, perfect. And that reminds me, I should update it probably with something. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll probably be posting this in a couple of weeks. So um, you have some time there to update it. But thank you for sharing that because I'm sure our, I'm a visual person myself too. So I'm sure people are going to want to look up um, to see some of your, your work. So that'd be really awesome. And they can find it at the Now Magazine. So for those who don't know, Now is the Canadian it's more of a Toronto publication, if I'm not mistaken, right? So they can find it online as well at Now Magazine. And I, if you type in John's name, it should pull up his comics. So for anybody interested, check out Now Magazine and um, just Google Now Magazine <laughs> and type in his name and you'll find his work. Oh, yeah. All right, thank thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.